Hi, I'm Dr. Alicia Armistead, and I help my patients get healthy and stay healthy by using whole food supplements and have them follow the personalized food changes I create for them. I am not just looking for symptoms to go away, but to really help repair and rebuild the body for optimal health and then maintain that health. I wish we could get all the right nutrition from a good, healthy diet, but unfortunately, our food lacks the nutrients to really be a true source of all our vitamins and minerals. A good book on this topic is Back to the Basics of Human Health by Mary Frost. This book explains that an apple today has 50% less vitamins and a higher concentration of fruit sugar than an apple 50 years ago. Our soil is depleted of minerals that our vegetables and fruit used to soak up, and that's how we would get the nutrition. Instead of soaking up minerals, plants now soak up heavy metals from toxic soil. Brown rice soaks up arsenic, a poisonous heavy metal which for some reason the brown rice plant can absorb. Unfortunately, studies have shown that kale is toxic with a heavy metal called thallium. And here I have been eating all these kale salads thinking I was doing something healthy, but instead poisoning myself. When the studies of thallium and kale first came out, I didn't want to believe it. But then I started muscle testing kale and it was true. Good news is that not every company is contaminated. The brand of kale and brown rice does make a difference. Besides heavy metals and less minerals in our soil, food has been genetically modified and hybridized so much that our bodies don't recognize it as food. In fact, that's what is wrong with wheat and why people feel better eating gluten-free. The wheat we eat in America these days isn't the wheat our grandma had. It's an 18-inch tall bush created by genetic research in the 1960s and 70s. Wheat that hasn't been scientifically changed, now known as heirloom wheat, stands four to five feet tall, but it was hybridized to be shorter and have more stalks per plant so that the wind wouldn't blow and break it and farmers could get more yield out of their harvest. This altered wheat, which is most of the wheat flour and white flour in America, has many new features nobody told you about such as there's a new protein in it called gladin. The gladin protein is an opiate, and it binds into the opiate receptors in your brain and in most people stimulates appetite. Opiates include chemicals like morphine, heroin, and opium. It's addicting, and we have to be careful we aren't overeating it. This is one reason why obesity in America has skyrocketed. This hybridized wheat also contains more gluten in it than the heritage wheat. Other countries don't have this wheat. In the baking world, it is called hard wheat. Europeans are well aware of American products containing wheat or white flour that doesn't make them feel good. My friends in France tell me that in France, they even call it American wheat and they try to avoid it. Another problem with our wheat is right before it is harvested, farmers spray it with a toxic herbicide called Roundup, also known as glyphosate. This way of harvesting non-organic wheat became popular in the late 1990s with the results that most of the non-organic wheat in the United States is now contaminated with it. Farmers spray it on the wheat right before harvest to kill it, and it actually releases more seeds resulting in a slightly greater yield. There is a direct correlation of the increase of Roundup on wheat and the increase of patients diagnosed with celiac disease. I will leave a link in the description of this podcast showing the chart of this direct relationship. 
When people stop eating wheat, they tend to lose weight. My patients have also found relief in digestive issues, fatigue, headaches, acne, severe PMS, and brain fog. When making food options while staying off of wheat, you know if it's gluten-free, then it won't have wheat in it. So buying and ordering gluten-free is an easy way to go about cleaning up the wheat in your diet. Besides staying off of the bread, pasta, bagels, pretzels, which are obvious, wheat, white flour, gluten-containing foods, one should also be careful of gravies, soups, and salad dressings, which tend to use wheat as a thickener. Soy sauce also has wheat in it. So many of my patients go to health food stores and get gluten-free soy sauce and then bring it to the restaurant when ordering sushi. You can also use coconut aminos found in your local grocery store to replace soy sauce. In my office, I look at the body as having eight aspects that have to be in balance before reaching optimal health. And then once it is reached, maintenance has to occur to maintain this optimal health. Some sort of maintenance is needed because unfortunately, the body just doesn't stay optimal without any support. You have to look at the body as a dynamic system that replicates billions of cells a day. 222 billion to 242 billion cells a day is what the average adult does. That much work a day, of course, needs maintenance. The first aspect I want to talk about is the nervous system which is the most important to balance. It's the first thing I check on every patient, every visit. It's the most important aspect of health and is often overlooked. I want to see how the brain is communicating with the body. If the brain is not communicating well with the body, then the body can't heal because the control center is not controlling the body. So it doesn't matter how healthy you eat or what supplements you are taking, healing will be limited if the nervous system is off. I need the brain, the autonomic nervous system, and full communication. There are two parts of the autonomic nervous system. The first part is the sympathetic nervous system, and the second part is the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is in charge of fight, flight, or freeze mode. It's in charge of a faster heartbeat, eyes dilating, increasing blood pressure, sweating. Parasympathetic nervous system is in charge of digestion, sleep, sex drive, and healing. This is why you can't heal if you are not sleeping. We need the sympathetic nervous system on strong during the day and fluctuating with the parasympathetic nervous system as needed. And then at night, we need the parasympathetic nervous system strong in order to get a good night's sleep. We get in trouble when we get stuck in one aspect of the nervous system and it can't fluctuate as needed. People who suffer from insomnia have their sympathetic nervous system running at night when they are in the fight or flight mode and they can't sleep. And then when they are tired during the day, they are in parasympathetic mode. People with allergies have parasympathetic nervous system running in overdrive. Another example of the nervous system being stuck is when you say yes, but you mean no, or when someone tells you to turn left and you turn right, even though you know you're left from your right. To get the nervous system to reset, the less stress, deeper sleep, and the right minerals is important. Also, to stop stimulants is very important to get the brain to communicate with the body better. As hard as it may be, you want to stop the coffee, caffeine, alcohol, 
white refined sugar, and nicotine. These things put too much stress on the body, and as long as you are using them, the nervous system doesn't stand a chance to reset. As you stop the stimulants, you may go through three to four days of withdrawal, but trust me, it's worth it. Besides those stimulants, you have to think about everything you put in your mouth and use as either helping or bothering the body. Nothing is neutral. It truly is either way. It's supporting or hindering the nervous system and therefore the rest of the body. This includes eating real food and not processed food products, but also the less plastic, aluminum chemicals in our cleaning products and cosmetics, canned food, chlorine we use, the better. Any toxin can become a stressor to the body that can throw the nervous system off. With toxins in the system, the nervous system can't properly communicate and we can get anxious, depressed, fatigued, irritable, and more. Any mood disorder can be traced back to toxins interfering with the nervous system. To learn more, listen to my podcasts on heavy metal toxicity, and I have another one on heavy chemical toxicity. If you have a healthy nervous system, the neurons in the brain communicate with each other by chemical messengers called neurotransmitters. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter in the brain that makes us feel good, makes us happy. 90% of the body's serotonin is made in the digestive tract. In fact, altered levels of serotonin have been linked to IBS, cardiovascular disease, and osteoporosis. About 50% dopamine, another feel-good neurotransmitter, is also made in the gut. They are made in the gut by good bacteria. It has been correlated that people suffering from depression lack two bacteria in the gut called coprococcus and dialister. So to have a healthy nervous system, you must have a healthy gut. Doctors call this the gut-brain axis. Thinking now of the nervous system and how the brain communicates to the rest of the body with nerve impulses and the release of neurotransmitters, I want to talk about how thoughts have an effect on your body. Stress is not a made-up thing. When we talk about stress levels or the stress that one feels, the stress in the shoulders, the stress in the low back, it's a real thing. I ask every new patient to describe to me their stress level because it's that important for me to know. Thoughts change the cell's environment and stressful thoughts change the cell's environment for the worse. You have to picture every thought as an electrochemical event taking place in your brain and nerve cells producing a cascade of physiological changes throughout the body. It's been shown over and over again that just thinking about something can cause your brain to release neurotransmitters which communicate with other parts of the brain and your nervous system. Neurotransmitters control virtually all your body's functions from hormones to digestion to feeling happy, sad, or stressed. Yes, happiness is something that can be learned. You may have heard that happiness is a choice, but the question is how do you learn to make that choice? When everything is going the way you expected or maybe even better than you expected, it is easy to be happy. Feeling happy is our default when our expectations are met. What needs to be learned, and it can be learned, is to be happy when our expectations are not met. Some people say not to have expectations is the easiest thing to do, but I don't think so. For the definition of expectation is to have a strong belief that something will happen. To not have an expectation is to stop believing. 
to not have hope, and what kind of life would that be? The goal would be to have hope, to have expectations and trust that if your expectation is not being met, that it is for your greater good. The goal is to have expectations and be flexible for your expectations are assumptions. And you know what happens when one assumes. When an expectation is not met, when you assumed wrong, when you were blindsided, there is something to be learned from the situation. And it is usually not about the situation itself or the person in it, but to learn something about yourself. If you do learn the lesson, you will grow from it. In that growth, your comfort zone increases, meaning you have more situations that no longer make you uncomfortable and you can handle more of life with ease. Fewer things will stress you out. In being able to handle more, you can live a fuller life. A fuller life means a happier life, for it will be easier to choose happiness with a wider comfort zone. When your expectations are not being met, you may not be able to see the greater good in that moment or even a year later, but somewhere down the line of living your life, you will look back on that moment and know what happened did make you stronger. That's why the saying, if it doesn't kill you, it will only make you stronger. But what happens when your expectations are not being met and you're in the middle of that growth process? It can be uncomfortable. I think that's what many of us are feeling right now in the middle of a pandemic. It can feel awful. It can look ugly. You have two choices. You can either resist the growth and make it feel even more uncomfortable, or you can surrender to the process, knowing that what you're going through and the way you are feeling is only temporary. Signs of resistance include addiction, anxiety, insomnia, negative distractions like too much TV, too much eating chocolate. You can feel resistance in your body in the form of a tension headache, upset stomach, constipation. When your body is upset, stop and check in with your thoughts and find the pattern of thinking that is causing the discomfort and choose a better way of thinking. Reframe your thinking, whether it is to be a more healthy thought, reasonable thought, truly happy thought, or even a humorous thought that puts a smile on your face. Keep a sincere smile on your face, and I promise you, you will feel better. What does surrendering look like? The process of surrendering means you choose thoughts that bring you peace and happiness. You have to discipline, one, watch your thoughts, and two, When you have a thought that makes you unhappy, stop yourself and start thinking about something else that does make you happy, even if it's a different topic altogether. I personally have found that the quickest way for me to put a smile on my face is to think of my daughters. Only think about the topic that is causing the discomfort in order to problem solve. Do not dwell on it. Do not go back and forth in decision making. And if you catch yourself doing so, have the discipline to stop. When we first start watching and choosing our thoughts, the easiest thing to do is to distract ourselves as a way of choosing another thought. When you're upset about this topic and you can't problem solve it, then take your mind off the topic altogether. But make sure if you're going to distract yourself, do it with a healthy outlet like exercise, productive work, going for a walk, a good book. If you don't choose happiness by default, you are choosing sadness or somewhere on the spectrum of sadness, including fear, anger, frustration, irritation, desperation, and on the extreme end, depression. 
Yes, depression is a choice that if chosen enough times creates a biochemical reaction in the brain that gets hardwired and starts becoming second nature. The good news is if you can choose depression, you can also choose to get out of depression. If the depression is due to circumstance, for example, a breakup, loss of a job, death of a loved one, watch your thoughts carefully as you process and integrate the new circumstance. Feel your feelings, think your thoughts, but do not get stuck on your thoughts that drag you down. If the depression was a slow process and somehow you find that you went from childlike happiness to adult depression, it can be a slow process to get you out of depression once you choose to do such. For once, the goal is set. Every choice after that either takes you towards your goal or away from your goal. So maybe 10,000 good choices have to be made to get you out of your depression. And that will be a lot of work, a lot of self-love, but it can be done. The process may be slow at times, but you have to have the expectation, the belief in yourself that you can do it. That mindset will make all the difference. Know that it is a journey with ups and downs, but if you check in with yourself every three to four weeks, and you see progress in how you are feeling, then stay on that path. Keep doing the work, making good choices on what you think, eat, work, and how you spend your free time. Let go of the bad choices and keep the good choices firm. If you check in with yourself and you do not see progress, then figure out what things need to change and start making changes. One change at a time to not feel overwhelmed and start with a change that will be easiest for you to make. Another key to learning happiness is to have the discipline to not give in to instant gratification, those things that make you happy in the moment but that you later regret. Happiness is something to be created for the long haul, so you have to have enough discipline to see the big picture and choose not to give in to your every whim. One has to have the wisdom to choose for the greater good, to choose what is best for the long haul. You have to have a good goal in sight and know what choice is going to get you there. If you think that losing 30 pounds will make you happier because you will be able to walk up a flight of stairs without getting out of breath, take less blood pressure medication, and fit back into your favorite genes, then you have to have the knowledge that eating that donut that your coworker brought into work is not actually going to make you happy. You are living an illusion if your goal is to lose weight and you choose to eat that donut. Yet, how many of us sabotage ourselves? How often do we set a goal and end up making choices that don't get us anywhere other than five steps forward just to later make choices to take five steps back and end up in the same place? During these times of self-sabotage, take time to be introspective and look at your thoughts and debug your brain to find which thoughts are not serving your goal. It could be a thought of, I'm working really hard and I deserve that donut, or I ate poorly this morning, so today's ruined, so I might as well just enjoy that donut. No matter how we justify it, it will not make us truly happy. In fact, we will feel guilt, remorse, maybe even an upset stomach or a headache from too much unhealthy fat and sugar. There are subconscious reasons for self-sabotage, and they are due to a lack of self-love in forms of lack of self-worth and feeling disloyal to our friends and family if we were happier. In order to reach any goal, one has to feel worthy of it. 
So watch your thoughts for negative self-talk and ask yourself where that thought came from. Is the thought something you truly believe or is it the voice of a parent or a teacher or a friend? We are programmed with thoughts all the time. So take the time to deprogram your thinking when the thought does not serve you by choosing a thought to replace it. Maybe the thought used to serve you, but it's now holding you back from happiness. Then it's of no use. For example, you have a goal of making more money, but you have a thought that creeps up every now and then that rich people are selfish. But is that really true? No. Could you replace that thought with another thought? Absolutely. Another way we self-sabotage is by thinking if we reach a goal, we are being disloyal to our friends and family. Let's say you start making more money and your fear is that your friends or family will be jealous. And so that type of thinking actually keeps you from making money. If they really do become jealous that it's not your fault and shows that there is growth for them to do, which is something you are not responsible for, you need to first and foremost be loyal to yourself. Loyal to self, self-worth, self-love are all attributes that need to be cultivated for they will bring happiness. In other words, you do have a relationship with yourself and that relationship, just like any other, needs to be worked on with love and compassion. All daily spiritual practice of meditation, journaling, or reading can help you spend time with yourself. During this time, be introspective to figure out what thoughts are holding you back. It is best to spend this time alone in the morning so you have more inner strength to make good choices throughout the day, bringing you closer to what you really want, bringing you closer to happiness. Babies are naturally happy, and we should be too, but something happens down the line of life where happiness feels more like a luxury than a natural state of being. I challenge you now to work towards moving backwards (laughs) towards your natural state. I challenge you to choose happiness.